couple of weeks ago, I started the series on, on love as a measure of maturity and talked about a number of things about love. And one of the main things, talking about the fact that the way that we define love, the way that we, I've lost the mic again. Okay. Well, th testing one, two. Testing one, two, no. Is it the cord? <laughs> I'd yell, but then they can't. Ah, there we go. Okay. You know, if, 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 if fixing the hum is going to kill my mic, then let's not fix the hum. The, um, oh, let's just pause for a second because I need the pause. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for today and just even all the different things that are going on here right now. And Lord, I just ask you to speak. You know, despite distractions, that you would speak through me this morning, that you would have your way. You would speak to each and every one of our hearts through the words that I share. Lord, help me to disappear. And that what people would see is you. So as I was uh, saying a few weeks ago, I introduced this series on love being a measure of maturity. And I was talking about the fact that love, one of the better ways that we can uh, define love in scripture is often as a social or moral contract, which sounds very technical. When I was talking a couple of weeks ago in Waterloo about it, someone said it, it just sounds really technical for me. But we've got to understand that a covenant by its very nature is a contract. And that the love that God has for us is not a feeling, the love that God has for us is not dependent on his mood. God's love is, is a perfect love, and he describes it to us as a covenant or a contract that he has with us. This, and the incredible thing about the covenant that God has made with us is that he's made his side unbreakable regardless of our unfaithfulness. You know, and, and he's always done that. When you look at the covenants that God made in the Old Testament, you know, he would, he would make these covenants with people and recognizing that his side was unbreakable and that, you know, they were likely going to fail. And Jesus, his covenant with us was one where it's just him. He was, he was the sacrificial lamb. He was the sacrifice on our behalf. He was the one that made the covenant and created this new covenant with us, this social contract, this moral commitment to us that conquered once and for all the effects of sin and death. And it's amazing. So when God says that, you know, he, we love because he loved us. When he talks about us loving like God, it's us not loving just from a place of emotion. As much as emotions do come into it, it's going despite my emotions, despite what I may feel, I have a co moral commitment. I have a contract with those around me. That's what love is. That's what love love is. And so it's, it's in that context that I speak this morning as I read scripture about love. 
The other thing I spoke about is that love by its very nature is not self-centered. The self-centered nature of our society is the opposite of love. If you look at what our society preaches, if you look at what we're inundated with by everything else around us, and what in many cases has infiltrated the church itself is not love, it's self-centeredness. And self-centeredness is the opposite of love, which does not mean that we don't love, we don't have a, a social moral commitment and social contract with ourselves. Doesn't mean that we don't have value. You know, it's that we recognize that because we have given our life to Jesus, because we have made him our Lord and Savior, because we recognize that we have an unbreakable covenant with him, that his love for us, you know, is perfect, that his love for us is not dependent on our performance, that his love for us on our good day or our worst day stays the same. That's his love for us. And he says, I want to teach you to be like me. You know, that if we on this earth are to live like Jesus did, as, as John teaches us in 1 John, that we also then have that same moral contract and social commitment to one another as the church and to be the salt and the light of God, to reflect that love, that perfect love that isn't dependent on how people treat us to the world around us. As I was saying those few weeks ago, you know, we have common sayings in our society. One of them, you know, people will be like, oh yeah, I know I love everybody. Well, if you're going to say I love everybody, then what you're saying, I am willing to die for everybody. And so we have these things we say that we don't actually mean and we don't understand. And it's, you know, that it's so important that we go, hey, actually, man, I better really understand what love is. I want to really understand what love is. So I want to read us a scripture this morning. It's a, a section of scripture from 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 to 3. It's one we probably know very well. If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard it. But I want to take it out of the realm of emotion today for us. And read this from the standpoint of this being. You know, the perfect love that God has for us. The contract that he has for us and the way that he asks us to love others. Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, James, in the book of James, talks about us being careful about our tongues. You know, life or death is in the power of the tongue, Scripture tells us. What do we use our words for? I mean, this is talking about both speaking in spiritual language and tongues. Um, he's written about it. Paul wrote about it. A little bit before this, writes about it again in 2 Corinthians. He's like, hey, doesn't matter. You can sit there, hey, I can, if you speak in tongues, whether you're speaking in a language that people understand, whether you're speaking in a heavenly language, but your words do not have love, then they're just a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. 
And he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And it says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And then he goes on and he says that love is patient. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to focus on each one of these words. It means that God is absolutely patient with you. you know, he is patient. So it's why we can say things like, I can say things like on our worst day, his love for us doesn't change because he is patient. He's patient enough that Paul that could think the world was going to end, that Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. 2,000 years later, he hasn't come back yet because he's patient. He's patient with us. He's patient with us in, with mankind and hasn't ended this world. He's patient with you in your struggles. He's patient with me in my struggles. He's patient with us as we desire, you know, to live a particular way and so often get it wrong. He's patient with us as we learn to grow in this thing called love. He's patient, which is amazing. Because if we're going to reflect that love with one another, we've got to be patient with one another. We've got to have patience. This week I was, I brought my car in to get something done, the rust proofing and the young guy at the counter, the, the debit system all went down and he couldn't figure it out. He was so nervous about it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've gone to the shop a few different times and I, I know that there's, they have some Christian belief and, uh, you know, it's just, and I'm like, well, we got, we got a couple options, you know, we, I can, you can, I can come back later or I can go to the bank, you know, and I can get you some, you know, draw cash and bring it back to you. And so we decided the best option was for me to go to the bank and draw cash and bring it back to him. And we brought it back. He was still like so apologetic and so nervous. Like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry about this whole thing. Like, man, don't worry. Like if I, I just said to him, what's the fruits of the spirit? And he's, he, you know, he, and he's like, oh, no, pop quiz. <laughs> and I'm like, well, listen, I'll tell you what they are. They're, you know, you know, and uh, listed them off for him. And one of them is patience. And I said to him, listen, if I'm going to, he goes, you know, I'm just so used to people being so upset and freaking out and everyone's so busy and, and rushing. And I'm like, if, if I can't be patient with this process, then I, what am I doing? You know, I can't do what I'm doing. Patience has got to be something that marks our life. It's part of love. We've got to be patient with our spouses, patient with our kids, patient with our friends, patient with those around us in church. We've got to be patient in our workplaces. People, we should be, people should know us by our patience because that's part of love. Patience comes with the security of understanding that God is in control. It's not about our efficiency. It's not about our time. It's not about how much we can produce. It's not living by the world's standards. 
It's living by God's standards and allowing those to invade every aspect of our lives. Every aspect. It says that love is kind. I love it scripture that says that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It throws in the face every time that the church is represented as someone out there preaching, if you don't you know, do this, you're going to go to hell and you're going to do this and God hates your sin and God hates this about you and God hates that about you. It's such a misrepresentation. Jesus never spoke that way. The only group that Jesus addressed that way were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he did because they were corrupt religious leaders that were, were completely misrepresenting who God was. And he stood against that religion. He stood against that corruption. Please, let kindness mark our lives. Again, this all starts at home. It starts in our friendships. That's where it's got to be demonstrated the most, and it's probably where it's demonstrated the least. And are we kind with those around us? Do people, when people meet us, do they go, wow, you're so kind? And if not, again, I'm not saying this to condemn a single person here. So if you're watching the video or you're here with us, none of this is about me condemning. But it's, it's that we would allow scripture to be a mirror to us and go, are we living love? You know, this, because being a Christian isn't about the knowledge that you carry. It's not about the miracles or gifts or prophecy, as we've just said. It's not about how, you know, the different ministries you're involved in. Does your family find you kind? Do the people around you go, that person is so kind? Because it also doesn't help if you go out and are kind to people out on the street, but the people closest in your life you're not kind to. Right? That's not, that's not love. That is, I want people to see me a particular way, so I act a particular way in one setting, but where I am at home, where I can truly be who I am, that's where, we're, what's where the state of my actual soul really comes out. Are we kind? And the amazing thing in each one of these things is the kindness of God leads us to repentance. So if the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance, then we can be honest with God with where we're at. And if I'm re as I'm reading these things, if we find qualities that are like, well, that's a quality I need to grow in, then we can go to God and say, Lord, can you help me grow in this? Can you help me understand what's going on in my life, what's happening with my soul, so that I can grow in these things. It says it does not envy. Our society is completely based on envy. Marketing, you know, 
Instagram, social media, all these things, envy someone how they look, envy the things they have, if you know, envy the house they have, the car they have, the vacation they're going on, the, you know, the clothes they're wearing, whatever, all the different material things. You know, we envy the job, envy is such a part of our society, but it's not a part of love. It produces in us the opposite of love. It produces competition. It produces, it produces desires to confer more and more and more. It's not love. It doesn't boast. Uh-oh. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. You know, this one, pride, it's this, it's the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. It's what turns Satan into Satan. And yet we live in a society that's based in pride. You know, we can be proud about all kinds of different things. We can have religion. The Pharisees and Sadducees were filled with religious pride. They're proud of their knowledge they had, the position they had, their status in society. They were proud of that. It blinded them to who Jesus was. We can be proud, and it can blind us to what God is wanting to do in our lives. It's, it's humility is the quality. Jesus humbled himself. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to be humble. We can't be proud. We can't be proud. It does not dishonor others. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's pretty incredible. Again, it's what God, you know, do we believe that about our relationship with God? That God is not keeping a record of our wrongs? That Jesus once and for all conquered sin and death at the cross, which means he conquered it over your life and that God is not keeping a record of your wrongs. You know, scripture often talks about that each one of us will be judged on the work that we do. What's the work that God gave us to do? Let me tell you, it won't be your ministry that you're applauded for or your job or your, you know, how many hours you spent in prayer or worship. The work he gave us in this place is how well did we love? Did we love? Were we these qualities? Did the fruits of the spirit, were they born in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control.
It says that love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. I love that. It's, it's where, you know, a few weeks ago, I sp- when I was first introduced this topic, I said, like, in our society, one of the progressive statements is love is love. And it's not true. Because what that's trying to say is that any sexual expression is love, and that's okay. But because God doesn't delight in evil, and evil by its nature, we, see, we use these terms, right? We don't understand what they mean. So evil can conjure up all kinds of ideas in your head. But like sin, evil is when we are not doing things God's way. When we're, do, we're doing something the opposite of what God would have us do which is what Satan does. That's what he plants in our mind. First example of that was the Garden of Eden. God said, don't eat from this tree, but he just doesn't want you to understand that you'll be like him. So do, you know, eat from the tree. Oh, God, you know, doesn't want uh, boundaries put on your sexuality. That's just, that's just ridiculous. Do whatever you want. And so we teach it in our schools. You know, it's all over our TVs, our movies. And the church today is beyond confused. Because, well, love is love. But we don't know what love is. If we don't know what love is, then that statement makes a lot of sense. But if we understand what love is, we go, oh, love is not about sexual expression. Love is is this social contract we have with God. There's emotion attached to it, feeling attached to it. There's romantic love. There's things along those that comes. But just saying love is love doesn't make that love. The better definition, as I said, would be sex is sex or lust is lust. But that also doesn't give us a right to be unloving to people that are struggling. It doesn't, this isn't about condemning people because we live in a very broken and messed up world, you know? And so if we're going to be loving, then we need to love people regardless of where they're at and hold truth out to them. And the first and most important truth is to know Jesus and to allow God in. And it's a complicated thing. I mean, to, for people that have, that have been caught up in that lifestyle, it is not a simple, like, Hey, just stop. No? As in many different things, because as I read this list, and I'm sure many of us here have been Christians all our life, and we can go, oh my goodness, a lot of these qualities haven't actually manifested in my life. I've never actually focused on these things. And how long have you been a Christian? So let's not be, well, this person's struggling with in this particular area of their life, and now we're going to condemn them because they haven't changed within an instant. Let's walk in love with people holding out truth, holding out truth. Hey, this is not, this isn't actually what God, the, God's best for you. This isn't what God has for you, but you're loved. We love you. We want to walk with you. We trust that God is going to bring healing into your life. We trust that he's got answers. We trust for you. And in this case, I'm just talking about the issue of sexuality. Let's talk about greed. Let's talk about mammon. You know, because sexuality is one of the big things in our society. But, you know, in this particular, in the GTA, greed is a huge one. 
It's huge in the West, but particularly here. You know, and if your security has been in your bank account, that's a hard thing to let go of. If your trust has been in money, not in the Lord, that's a big transition because it's a huge source of security. And, you know, it's easy for us to talk about something like sexuality, but now then when I start touching on the other big, the big stronghold, it's like, well, hold, don't touch on that. <laughs> right? You know, when I start going, hey, how kind are you at home? You know, can I, can I say that that's probably this thing of how we are with our families is worth dropping everything for. It's worth dropping everything for. Eugene Peterson, who's just, yeah, I just really have grown to appreciate him in the last little bit. And, and before he died, I was watching some video series that he did just talking about his life. And, and he struggled with his family. He struggled to balance ministry and family and, and one son in particular, you know, it took a while to repair the relationship with him because he had, he'd, he'd put all his effort into that into ministry. And uh, he said, when I when asked what was the most, what, what mattered now that he was at the end of life, what mattered? And he's like family. He goes, nothing else. He goes, you know, everything else that I did is worthless. If my family isn't in a good place with each other, with me and with God. If you think that God's calling you to a ministry or a job at the expense of your family, you are wrong. You're wrong. It's not God. But it takes humility on each one of these things. It takes humility for someone to go. I mean, can you imagine, right? Can you imagine, I just wanted you to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So you know for your own sexuality, if you're attracted to your wife or, or girlfriend or spouse, like that's a strong attraction. So if someone said, well, actually to follow Jesus, you have to be attracted to someone of the same sex. You'd be like, how the heck is that ever going to happen? These are strong things, strongholds the enemy has put in people's lives. It's the same as if I say to you, you know, man, it's a big humbling thing that is you've got to humble yourself before God you've got to humble and trust at a level that most of us have never had to humble and trust you know we could say hey yeah I know career has been important to you or your job or whatever whatever it's been but you got to humble yourself you know your ministry and that ministry things has been important to you, but actually, where's your family at? Are you willing to humble yourself and give that ministry up until the family thing has come right? Because that's love. Because that's love. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with the truth. And that's the amazing thing, right? With love, it, it does. It rejoices. When, when truth hits our heart, there's something that's just like, ah, oh, it may cut, but it's good. It's like, I know that to be good. 
I know that to be good. And so when God, he rejoices with truth, with us, as we walk, he's like, yes, he's cheering us on. As we're making the steps, as we're you know, making the sacrifices, as we're humbling ourselves before God, it's like, yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And the amazing thing is that it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. I mean, God with you, he always protects, he always trusts, he always hopes, and he always perseveres over your life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? With very little excitement, have I put you to sleep? <laughs> Hopefully you're excited on video. <laughs> but like that for me is the most amazing thing because the reality of that is... You know, when I'm like, God, you always are protecting me. You're always trusting in me. You're always hoping with me. You're always persevering. And then it says that love never fails. And that, you know, that stirs me on to keep going. That stirs me on that I can trust God no matter what's going on in my life. I can trust him with everything. That my trust is not in anybody but God and God alone. And it's taken me a journey to get there. I got to tell you, if you talk to me, you know, when I first met Lee, that was not real to me in my life. It's like, man, I was so scared. I definitely didn't have a trust in God. I had an intellectual trust in God. But when the going got rough, there was absolutely no way to walk it out. Because it hadn't gone into my heart. The faith wasn't real. It wasn't there. I couldn't walk that thing out. And you know, when I first started the church, it took a whole lot of trust. When I first told Lee that we were going into, you know, that my, my job, I'd been let go from my job, and that was the sign to go into full-time ministry, she almost passed out on the floor. You know? And, but we, we did know it was God. And it was not easy. It was unbelievably hard. In the first year of ministry, we lived, and this was a, lo a longer time ago, so figures were a little bit differently, but we lived on like 20 grand is it for a family of three in a, for a year. More than half of that went to our rent. But we persevered. And I was telling the story before that we were at a place after, uh, you know, because part of the thing that funded ministry for the first was EI. And when we first started out, and I was, it, I was speaking to Ken Grenfell, who's always been a mentor to us, and the money for my EI was running out. It was about to be gone. And I'm like, well, what should I do? And he's like, well, I was in a similar situation years ago. And uh, he goes, you know, when I first started in ministry, and he's like, either this was God's idea or it was your idea. If it was God's idea, you're going to need to go, or sorry, if it was your idea, you're going to need to go and get a job. But if it was God's idea, then he will provide. And you put this on him. And you know, for the next five weeks, the money got worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was East, became Easter weekend. It was the Easter weekend service. Like, well, we're going to do this service. And uh, you know, I'll, I guess I better start looking for a job on uh, Monday. Because we're, we're going be, to be totally out of money. Money. And then one of the people that was counting the money came to me. And they're like freaking out. They're like, James, look at this check that came in. And it was a big check for that time. It was like $5,000, which was really huge for us at that moment in time. 
And it was like, I was so stunned that I actually went, I mean, it was a tiny church, you know? So I actually went to the family, like, was this a mistake? <laughs> you know? And uh, it was a new family. And they're like, no, not a mistake. No, God's told us to come to your church. It was here and you can expect that every month for the next while. And, you know, God used that family for the next couple of years to fund 50% of the budget of the church and to kept our family going. And uh, it was by faith and faith alone. And I share that story. There's a couple of reasons I'm sharing that story. I'll get back to it in a minute. Because I want to finish this scripture. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And Paul writes, he goes, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put my child, ways of childhood behind me. And using that same thing, he goes, right now, we see only a reflection as if it's in a mirror. But then, talking about when we're standing before Jesus, when we, you know, when, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall f know fully, even as I'm fully known. And he f finishes it off after that statement. He says, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. More than our, isn't that incredible, right? More than our hope, our confidence, insurance in God, more than our faith in God. The thing that matters most is that social contract that God has with us. Because what our faith and our hope in is the actual love of God. That he has a covenant, a moral and social contract with us. And because of that, because of the very nature of what we've just read, that we can be confident. Our faith and hope springs from the love of God, not from anything else. It's why when Jesus was challenged on what is the greatest commandment, he's like, love God with all your heart, mind, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because the kingdom of God is built on one thing and one thing only, and it is love. And it is not a feeling, it's a social and moral contract. And from God's side, that social and moral contract he has with us is unbreakable. It was sealed by the blood of Jesus. And proven is real by his rising from the dead. That is where our hope is. And it's why your knowledge of the Bible and all those things is absolutely irrelevant if you don't have love. Your gift is irrelevant if you don't have love. All the things that will pass away when we stand before Jesus. How well have we loved? And to understand love, we look at 1 Corinthians 13. We look at the life of Jesus. We look at Galatians 5, 22, 23, that describe the character qualities. All these qualities we saw in Jesus. You look at how he treated people. 
and he treated them with this love. To go back to my story, you'll notice we don't talk a ton about money. And, uh, you know, to some people's frustration, we don't. And, and there's, there's really, uh, the primary reason for me is this. I don't want to put a stumbling block to anybody. I, for me, essentially, I, I know, scripture, the gospel's free. The gospel is free. No one came in here and you weren't charged admission. You know, you weren't charged a fee. And uh, it, it's free. It's got to freely we've been given, freely we give. But we're in an interesting position at the moment where, you know, over, t you know, over the last little bit, that money's been getting, income's becoming less and less for LifeHouse. It's not that a lot of people are leaving. There's been people that have moved away, and there's been new people joining, and there's been the pandemic and things along those lines. And so we're in a position at this moment in time where I was, okay, Lord, what do we do? How, how do we handle this? And I wonderfully have many testimonies, like the one I shared today, of God coming through and providing. And uh, I forgot to write the scripture down, so I'm just pulling it up. God gave me this scripture when I was like asking him, what is it that I'm supposed to do? And he said, and it's Matthew, verse 10. Let me just find it here. Please bear with me. Appreciate your loving patience. <laughs> Matthew 10. I'm going to start at verse 5, and it's where Jesus sends out the 12. And he said, these 12 Jesus sent out. Actually, before I read the whole thing, because the verse that part of it that came to mind was this. Uh, da, 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 da. I think it's verse. My eyes are a little older than they used to be, and I have to, my phone isn't as easy to read on. He's, yep, verse 9. Again, thanks for your patience. He said, do not get any gold or silver or copper or take with you to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his keep or the worker is worth his keep. That's a scripture that came to mind for me. And I'm like, okay. And from that, I've been there, done that. There's many times that, uh, Lee and I have been like, okay, well, just don't pay us for a little season while if, if funds are, are up. And then often you, it always gets made up later on. But this time I'm like, okay, Lord, this, there's, it's a bit of a bigger situation. And so how do I handle it? So he gave me that. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and talk to the staff. You know, and I went and talked to each and every one of the staff and said, look, here's the financial situation at the moment. You've, we've got a couple options. I can lay you off. And uh, and you can you know, that way you'll get EI. You've got something guaranteed coming in. If you if you feel the need, you want to quit. That's totally fine as well. Um, or you know we all can or whoever decides to do this can just say okay God whatever comes in after the fixed expenses like rent and things like that are paid then whatever's left over people get paid with. And uh, every single one of the staff was like absolutely that's no problem at all. We trust we trust God on this. And so from our side, as a staff team, we're here because we're called. You know, like Lee and I, we did this because we're called. The people that are on staff with us, they're here because they're called. I mean, one of the staff members was just like, yeah, actually, you know, 
um, just suspend my pay entirely. I, I'm fine right now. And uh, it's not, it's, none of us do this to get paid. But we live in a society where you need money. It's a reality, right? I, we can, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a reality of where we live. So that's on our part, the part we can do. And the amazing thing that God showed me uh, as I was reading the scripture to the staff in a staff meeting was the whole thing where he says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel was the mission that he was giving the 12 as they went out. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And uh, from that, God reminded me of all the prophecies that we've seen that are, you know, we've seen in part but are unfulfilled over the church, that we would heal the sick, that we would see that would see the dead raised, that we would see those that have illnesses cleansed, that we would see demons have drawn, uh, driven out of people, mental illness healed, and that we would, that these things would be part of what Lifehouse is. And I felt God saying, as you have faith in this one area, it's going to unlock faith in another. And so I asked Shamla to run numbers on our finances. I don't know who gives what, and I don't want to know who gives what. But based on the financial numbers that Shamla gave, it's basically one third of the people that would call Lifehouse home contributing if there was there was a hundred and basically contributing 85% of the money that comes in. So one third of the people are carrying 85% of the church, which means there's room for, for others to step up and help carry. And there's room for us to take seriously this being our home and our family and our commitment to love one another. And, and again, I say this not out of any condemnation, but simply for you to be able to walk in faith and trust with God. If you, if you don't have a, a practice or a discipline of tithing, the whole concept of doing that can be scary. And I understand that. But as, as we step out in faith, with God, we just and simply invite all of us to step out in faith and to trust God. You know, you can, you will not be known. If you're like, hey, well, I'm going to choose not to give. That's where your heart's at at this moment in time. That's okay. You know, be, and I say, I'm not going to know. You know. No one's going to judge you. We're going to freely love you. And the gospel is free for everybody here. And we all have these different scenarios. So, Please don't hear this as a pressure. As I was saying before, one of my greatest concerns, I don't want people to come into church and hear about money all the time and think that you're coming and that what we want is your money. Because I don't want your money. We, we, we want to be a family. You know, we, we want to be a group of people that, that want to see the kingdom of God come in this world. Which means that we, to do that, though, does take money. And to do that is where, you know, us, us paying attention to God on generosity and tithing and things along these lines is so important. I gave a series on this years ago. Probably, I don't know, I'll see what God says, what he does. What I do know is that as me and the staff team trust God 
Yeah, I trust that'll raise our faith that we all can trust God. And I know that God's going to take care of it one way or the other. That's what I know. You know, that's where my faith is. So if you're one of those people that's already contributing, this message is not to you. If you're already someone that's of that, that one third that's carrying the church, thank you. You know, and, and it just, I appreciate your prayers for God providing and that, that we would have this heart and desire to see that happen here at, at Lifehouse. What I do know is that God's love doesn't fail. And, uh, you know, he didn't call me and my family in this to die, nor anyone else that's on the team. And uh, we, we fully have our trust in God and fully trust him to provide in whichever way he wants. And if, like I was before, if God's like, hey, James, go get a little job on the side to do this, I'll do that. Do whatever it is that he tells us. You know? But know that you're loved. And uh, may we become a people of these words. May we be known as people of love and let that become infectious. May our families exude that love. May our, may our lifestyle exude patience, kindness, of being a people that are not envious, that are not boasting, that are not proud, that don't dishonor others, that are not self-seeking, that we're not easily angered, and that we keep no record of wrongs, that we don't delight in evil, but we persevere with people and we rejoice in the truth. It always, that we always protect, we always trust, we always hope, we always persevere, and that we know that God's love will never fail. Amen? Amen. Love you all. Looking forward to our bring and share lunch today. Come and wrap it up. Thanks, James. In 1 John 4, it says, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love each other. I think that nicely wraps up, our, uh, it kind of summarizes our making love the measure of maturity. I, I am, I'm all in with that. I want that to be my own measure of maturity. I hope that, um, yeah, that's... Thanks, James. Thank you, everyone, for coming again. Particularly, I want to say it's great to have uh, Carlos and Shirley here this morning. Thank you so much for coming out. And also, we've got Gabby is back from Singapore as well. I'm so happy that Gabby is back. She's been away for so long. And I'm pretty sure, Katie, this is your first time here as well, right? This is Alex's sister. She is here for the first time. You're so welcome here at Lifehouse. Guys, we're going to have, we have got coffee and cookies, right? So we're going to have that stick around, but also it would be really great to see you at uh, the Bring and Share at the Lifehouse Center. Officially, that starts at 1230. I want to reiterate what James said that, yes, it is a Bring and Share, but don't let the fact that you don't have anything to bring stop you coming and sharing. 
we we love to see you there. It's about community. It's about being together, and it's going to be so great. Um, thank you all again so much for joining us, for being part of Lifehouse. You are great. You are loved, and we love you. Go and get your kids, because we love them too, and we love our kids' ministry leaders, and have a great week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.